This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders, and of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around one more time from Atlanta. Before we get on the plane and head back to Denver, I'm Andrew Mason of Orange Blue 760 and DenverBroncos.com. Joined this week here in Concourse C <laughs> by Gate C3 at Hartsfield Jackson Airport here in Atlanta, Georgia by Ryan Edwards. We're on the same flight home. Another Super Bowl week in the books. Two Broncos Hall of Famers. Not as many as we were hoping for, but certainly a good week. Just your general thoughts, man, as we prepare to get on the plane here. Yeah, it, it, it was a, a whirlwind week, but uh, clearly capped off by the events, uh, the announcement of the Hall of Fame, the what uh, what was mostly expected. But, you know, in this process, and I kind of got the vibe from David Baker as well as some of the, the Hall of Fame voters, you, you just don't know. You just don't know how it's going to go. And, and surprises always happen. I'd say that Kevin Mowai and Ty Law were a surprise for us. I know that we, we talked about who could be, um, but of the offensive linemen, he wasn't one of the top ones, I think, for you. And I know he was my fourth. Yeah. I had him behind Baselli, Alan Fanica, and Steve Hutchinson in that order. Yeah. In and, terms of the quality of their resume. Right. And so, so right there, that's a surprise. Ty Law, we know about East Coast and we know about how they tend to view things and the arguments that ensued in there. Uh, I will say, though, after having the evening to sort of reflect on it, I did kind of have a, wow, what if they had gone Ty Law over Champ Bailey? Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Broncos it, it fans happen. would have been in meltdown mode today. Not that they would not have been happy about Pat Bowen getting the nod, but I feel like because unless there is some controversy or malfeasance, when you're a contributors committee nominee, you're getting in. And yeah. we got that indication from voters over the last several months since August when Pat Bowen was announced as a contributors committee nominee. We really knew that he was going to be in, but if Champ Bailey had not gotten in and Ty Law had gotten in, if they'd taken only one cornerback, I think even with Pat Bowen getting in, the mood of Denver fans right now would be one of extreme outrage because I think, frankly, a lot of Broncos fans had already kind of celebrated Pat Bowling getting in yes. once he got the contributors' nomination back in the summer. I completely agree with you. So having some time to reflect on it, just thinking about how where it could have gone. Of course, we could have been on the other side of that coin. Don't have to always be pessimistic and said, hey, what, how great would it have been if we're celebrating Steve Atwater, our radio partner, in along with Champ Bailey and Mr. Bolin, maybe even John Lynch. That that could have been spectacular. But you and I, we were we were pretty even. I mean, excited, but pretty even about saying the goal is top ten for Steve, and we I feel like we accomplished that. I think we did, and obviously Steve's resume is what did it. But I think I don't mean to pat ourselves on the back here, but making people aware of the details of Steve Atwater's resume, actually having voters talk with Steve Atwater on the radio and it's a credit to Steve for agreeing to do the radio show because it was something a little bit outside of his comfort zone when he started doing it but he's proven to be a natural fit letting his personality shine through and I think all these voters 
being able to view Steve Atwater as not just a, a name on a list, but a three-dimensional person that they've talked to, I think that helped his cause. And we both talked to voters from the room who voted for Steve Atwater to be in the last five. So he's getting closer. And frankly, Ryan, I think at this time next year, we are talking with Steve Atwater about him being a Pro Football Hall of Famer. I think he's in the red zone right now. He's close. Yeah, things are lining up nicely for the first ballot guys next year mixed with with who is on the list this year. And, you know, Ed Reed also helped. Yes. Ed Reed's statement about how he thought Steve should go in ahead of him, that he would give up his spot, which, of course, he can't, but he would give up his spot. I think that helped. And you talked to somebody that said that that helped. So it, it all kind of came together. I think think you and I, at the end of the week, really had this mentality about it that, well, it, it could happen. It really could. There's always surprises. There were surprises this year. It just didn't end up happening. I would have put Steve Atwater in ahead of Ty Law. Maybe that has something to do with being a Broncos fan most of my life, or maybe it's just because uh, from football perspective of impact, I think Steve Atwater has had a, a much more significant impact on his position than Ty Law did. But, but that said, uh, the more people I talked to, the more people really felt strongly about Ty Law, especially the ones that do, this, do their shows on the East Coast. Ah, the East Coast thing. You went there. Well, I went there on Twitter. There's a common thread. I went there on Twitter Saturday night after uh, admittedly having a couple of drinks and posted the stat that popped in my head as I was watching the press conference in person earlier that evening when I said that every one of the five modern era selections for this year's Hall of Fame class played at least five seasons on the East Coast, including Champ Bailey who played five seasons with the Washington Redskins before coming to Denver. And Tony Gonzalez, of course, starred in Kansas City and played six seasons with the Atlanta Falcons. Kevin Mawai, most of his career with the New York Jets. Tyler Law, most of his career with the uh, New England Patriots. Ed Reed, most of his career with the Baltimore Ravens. Hard I hate to, to do that. I've been one who said, oh, the East Coast bias thing is overrated. But I had what was said in Pulp Fiction as a moment of clarity last night when I saw those guys on the stage and thought, hmm, interesting. Well, and it, it, it's just, it just happens too much to believe it's coincidence. That, that's all. And, and look, Broncos fans are, are, should justifiably be in a pretty good mood about this. What was accomplished, Mr. Bolin, Champ, and Steve in the top ten. Yes. That's a big step forward. Uh, but is it enough? No, no, because this is the first defensive player in the history of the Broncos that ever has made it to the Hall of Fame. That, that is insane. I was discussing an Orange and Blue 760 Sunday morning. Look, you have an iconic defense in the Orange Crush from the 70s and the early 80s. Nobody's in. And for those who say, oh, well, they didn't win a Super Bowl. Purple People Eaters didn't win a Super Bowl either. And they're sitting there with Carl Eller and... Alan Page in the Hall of Fame, Paul Krause in the Hall of Fame. You're telling me you can't get one Bronco from the Orange Crush, which did make a Super Bowl and was an iconic defense of that era. You're telling me you can't get one of those guys in? That's a problem. And that's where I'm going to turn this into an optimistic thing. Obviously, we're optimistic about Steve for 2020 in the modern era pool. But you talked with David Baker, the president of the Hall of Fame, 
after the press conference Saturday night, along with Brandon Cristal of Orange and Blue 760, and found out that they're kicking around the notion of a 17-man seniors class separate from the regular class that would be inducted in September of 2020 to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the start of the National Football League. And if that is the case, my friend, Randy Gratishar should be one of the top candidates for that to finally have somebody flying the orange crush flag in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, at, at that point, and that, that'll be fun for us over the as we walk up, especially if it ends up being like, I like that they're doing it separate. I think that that's an, important, that's an important distinction. I was just talking to Michael Coover, our producer over on uh, AM760, and he said, do you think it waters down anything for anybody? I said, no, because it, it's, a, it's kind of a commemorative thing. And on top of that, there's a, there's a significant logjam in the seniors committee right. that we've been discussing a long, long time. And it definitely doesn't water anything down for Steve because he's going to be going in in the modern era finalists. It's a whole different class going in in August. They'll elect an August class. They'll elect a September class. I think that that is exactly how you should do it. You shouldn't combine it, make it a 25-person class going all in at one time. That would be insanity. Do it separate. Imagine the speeches. I mean, you'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to do like the Academy Awards and start playing the music after a few minutes to get one guy off stage and go to the next person you, you'd, you'd have to start in the morning like 6 o'clock in the morning and then and then hope to end before midnight I mean, what is this Live Aid? yeah it's, it would be kind of like Live Aid I mean you know uh, I, I mean it, w- it would be something that th- there would be no comp because it would literally take but also would be very special just I think people would get a little fatigued people get fatigued now by the eight finalists speaking so true you know, now you you do a class in August, you do a class in September. Everybody's happy. Well, not everybody's going to be happy, but at least it helps. It helps the process. Well, that's if you say take two seniors every other year, one senior every other year. So that's three over two years. You're literally getting six years of backlog off the table with the seniors committee, and that will help. There's talk about also a coaches subcommittee, and next year with the five modern era finalists having one senior, one contributor, and one coach. And that, I think, is huge because you had Tom Flores and Don Coriel in the room on Saturday as part of the Hall of Fame discussion. And Don Coriel has been a finalist for several years now. Yep. And he can't seem to get any traction, even though, to me, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer because you cannot write the history of the sport without him. And you cannot look at the history of offensive football without discussing Don Coria. You and I both thought he had a, a really good shot this year. I, yep. I, I got to be honest, I mean, because we were doing looking at uh, an ESPN voting thing, and they had him as their fourth guy. Yes. And we kind of were like, yeah, I, I could see that. Probably him, maybe him over Flores. I mean, Flores' age, I know, factors in a little bit here. But we both thought Don Coriel was was going to have a, a real legitimate shot this year. And then maybe one of the offensive linemen. And then, again, the goal was to get Steve inside the top ten. Well, they went with one of the offensive linemen. And then they went with Ty Law, who, you know, the, the read I get, you know, when I put out that, you know, sort of Ty Law over Steve Atwater with the shrug emoji, the responses on that, Maybe a lot of them are Broncos slanted, but there was a lot. Even some non-Broncos said, "Yeah, I, I don't even think that 
he is a Hall of Famer, not not even in the conversation. So it's just it's a very bizarre thing. But you know, it did bring up what you and I talked about last night as we were having dinner and walking around. Uh, the notion that uh, people should be ready. There's about to be an onslaught of yes. Patriots heading into the Hall that are connected to this dynasty. Yes, because they're going to want to recognize the Patriots for their championships, and it can't just be simply Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, obviously. And they've got some in, like Randy Moss, who contributed to them already in. Let's quickly move on to Champ Bailey. I talked with him Saturday night after his press conference, along with the other uh, Hall of Fame inductees for 2019. Let's give that a listen. What was that feeling like when the knock on the door came and you knew what was happening? (laughs) Oh, man, you know, emotional, you know. It was, you know, it still hasn't sunk in yet. You know, my family was there just, just to be able to share with everybody who got me here. And it's, it's still surreal right now. You mentioned it could have happened anywhere, but it was here in Georgia. So much of your football life is here, having your family around. Would have meant something everywhere, but what is it about being here, where you grew up, where you played college ball, and where so much of what you love is? Well, I, I always believe uh, things just come full circle. And, you know, to go in with Pat Bowling, to go in at home, I mean, this is, I mean, this is what made me who I am, my state. You know, I played, you know, representing Georgia with a lot of pride. So, and then to be able to do it, you know, with the Broncos, I mean, that was, that was amazing. And then to go in with the owner, it, you couldn't ask for a better story. What did Mr. Bowen mean to you? Everything, you know, the, the fact that they wanted me there and they did what it took to get me there. It's not like they drafted me, you know, it's... It's rare to pick up a corner the way they did, and, you know, they made the most of it, and I definitely didn't want to let them down. And I feel like I didn't. We didn't win any championships while I was there, but I gave it all I had, and, and I know he appreciated Coming from Washington, Denver, what made Pat Bowen kind of special, and, like, what things did he tell you that still stick with you to this day? Well, it, it, he was just, you could just tell the competitive fire he had. But also, he knew his role. I mean, I'm not saying that every owner has to be like Pat Bolin, but he was a great example of how every owner should be. You show that you're competitive, you know, you take care of your players, treat them with respect, and they'll take care of you. And that's what he did. And couldn't ask for a better situation. What kind of thoughts have you had about guys who might uh, present you for the Hall of Fame? Oh, wow. You know... <laughs> I've been thinking about that a lot, and I think, uh, you know, obvious picks would be, you know, my brothers or somebody in my family, but I'm not sure if that's what, the way I'm going to go. I'm going to consider everything, consult with the people who I trust, and make a good decision. I mean, there's a lot of people that, could, that earn that right to do it. Great stuff from Champ, and I also want to play a comment from Ed Reed. Of course, Ed Reed this week talked about how he, if he got in and Steve Atwater didn't, he would trade places with Steve Atwater. There's a great deal of respect from Ed Reed for Steve and other safeties that came before him. Here's what Ed had to say. I had a conversation with Steve yesterday, you know, and um, I know it's a process. And we never played the game for accolades, so when they come, they come. You know, um, but I represent him. You know, I represent Ronnie Lott. I represent Kenny Easley. I represent... Paul Krauss, you know, I represent Emlyn Tunnell, you know, who is probably one of the baddest to ever do it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, man, Night Train Lane was the reason why I wore form pads, you know, when we played against Pittsburgh. <laughs> but um, truly, man, those those guys, you know, are the reason why I'm able to stand here. They paved the way. And I represent safety. I represent DBs, but football players in general. It is genuine class. 100%. No and um, hearing him say that, it's so cool. And the respect he has for all the safeties that came before him, it sort of underscores something that we've talked about with the safety position. It's a little bit special. There's a bond between guys at positions, but it feels like it's safety. The guys who made the position, caused it to progress, that are responsible for the evolution, they feel this bond to the people that came before him. And... Players like Ed Reed, John Lynch, Brian Dawkins all feel a kingship with a guy like Steve Atwater. Well, when we talked to uh, Brian Dawkins on Radio Row, he, uh, understandably effusive of his praise, but he talked about how he modeled parts of his game off of Steve Atwater. And he even went as far to say, talk, talk to anybody that, that has played the position or is playing the position, they've had, if not direct influence, some kind of influence because maybe they think about Ed Reed or they think about Brian Dawkins as their favorite safety. Well, those guys were influenced by Steve Atwater. And it's not so far away removed that the speed of the game, you know, the speed of the game is, is changed and there's definitely a certain level of athleticism in the game. But but a lot of what Steve Atwater did still applies. When we talked to TD last night on the red carpet, I loved something he said. He said he talked about him as a heartbeat of the defense and there, there's something to a safety that sets that tone and Steve Atwater was a tone setter and that's that should be something that is celebrated and, and again it was it was nothing but acknowledgement throughout the course of the week whether it was Dan Marino Brian Dawkins they all feel like he's in well said and before we go I feel like we need to also pay some acknowledgement to somebody who came before us in the business of sports talk radio who, yes uh, who passed away on Sunday, and that is, of course, the great Irv Brown, longtime co-host of Irv and Joe on various stations in the market, a broadcasting career that goes back to the 1970s, of course, a coach, a referee. I first knew him from being a college basketball referee. He was one of those legendary refs that worked out West but worked some national championship games like in 74, 76, and 77. That was Al McGuire's last game with Marquette part of the start of ESPN, just someone who I feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to for paving the way and making it possible for sports talk to flourish in Denver and allow us to talk for three hours a day like we do today. Unquestionably, one of the biggest influences on my career, where I basically got my start, was producing and working on his show, and I did that for over a year when they were on uh, ESPN 1600, and... Uh, was one of my first breaks. Uh, the show I interned on when uh, when I first started out with Dan Jacobs, um, he got me running their board and working with Irvin Joe. Um, I, I have I, I can tie my success directly to them, and I, I appreciate that you brought it up because my heart is definitely heavy today because uh, he, he was somebody that was a mentor for me and. Uh, I, I had asked for advice and considered at one point following him over to another station because he asked me to. And I, you know, it, it was where I was headed in one direction with the fan and they were heading over to 1340. And I thought, well, 
you know, I, I have some opportunities to work with Alan Mac and to work with, uh, you know, Scott Hastings and Mike Evans. So I, I wanted to, to kind of see that through. But, you know, we always had a lot of respect for each other. Every time I saw him, you know, the how's your tomatoes? Uh, I, I, I owe a lot to Herb Brown and uh, to Joe Williams. And so I, I really appreciate you giving me a moment to talk about them because it, my, my heart is definitely with his family today. Man, I, I remember talking with him about college basketball back in the day when he was a ref and yeah. him telling me stories about Al McGuire. Did he ever try to get you into refing? He always tried to talk. <laughs> he always was like, he's like, gotta get into refing, refing kid. He did at one point. Yeah. yeah it's like, you gotta get into it. Gotta get into uh, refing, kid. Sometimes I wish I'd done that at least in my spare time. I know, if right? I had spare time. I know. If I did it, I'd be thinking about her, but Al McGuire, Bob Knight, Dean Smith, who is one of my personal heroes in life and in sports, and just the stories he could tell, all that he contributed to sports broadcasting, you know, the ability to kind of adapt to any situation thrown at him. You had to do that so well uh, in sports talk radio. And our hearts are heavy. Denver sports media, especially on the radio side, is a really small world, and it feels like a big family. And uh, I think we're all hurting today. Yeah, that's, that's really well said, Mace. And, uh, and we got a chance to reach out to Joe and talk to him for a moment and it like i said i mean so so many people and, and i mean if you're if you're a twitter person you can get on and you can see all uh, everybody in media uh saying something about her because we all had had an impact with him whether immediately and as far as a conversation with him working on a show with him like a lot of us did or or just in passing because he made that kind of impact on every single person and um yeah i i'm like i said i, I T- today's a tough day. <laughs> Everyone has an Irv story, I feel like, and that's a long timer in Denver media. So if you were a fan of Irv, raise a glass to him today. When you're watching the Super Bowl or whatever you're doing this week, I know he'd appreciate it. I know we would too. For Ryan Edwards, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for horsing around with us. We'll talk to you next week. This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horse and Around.